0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Liam Clifford. And I'm your co-host, Gavin Telemetti. And today, we want to extend a very warm welcome to a fellow member of our committee, Elizabeth Moller. She is a PhD in Occupational Sciences, and this is her second time on the podcast. So, Elizabeth, welcome back.
1: Thank you. Always good to be back home.
0: Now, we do have a very special topic today um, that I think a lot of our listeners are going to be very interested in. Um, Elizabeth, you were telling us about how you've been doing um, some work regarding your, um, you know, what, what you study. Uh, do you want to just elaborate on uh, a little more about it?
1: Yeah, for sure. So as we know, we're in unprecedented times. It's the new word of the the decade, I suppose. Um, And so about a week and a half ago, I was reached out to as the Accessibility Commissioner by Accessible Media Incorporated, uh, or AMI. And they reached out to me to ask if I'd be interested in doing a documentary around accessible education during COVID and what that like. So just for folks that don't know, Accessible Media or AMI is a media platform both on TV and on the radio that provides cross-disability content, audio description, and captioning. So they really wanted to hone in on what does it look like during this COVID time to be a student with a disability and more broadly what are the learnings that we can take with us whenever we get to the other side, whatever the other side might be.
2: Okay and um when you were approached with this documentary um, idea of making it to explain the um, accessibility for some people during COVID-19. Uh, out of curiosity, what was your um, initial thoughts on the documentary?
1: I was really excited to be able to share what I've experienced as a student, what I've heard from other students, both in my role as commissioner, but also sort of more tangentially just in those informal classroom conversations. But I think, you know, more importantly, what I wanted to do was bring forward an awareness about some of the challenges that students with disabilities face in the digital space. And so basically what I did in the documentary was I talked a little bit about the different platforms that we are expected to use as students, what some of the barriers are, what some of the solutions to those barriers could be. And again, you know, some of the successes because digital learning hasn't been all bad. So I talked a lot about platforms that, uh, don't really work well for captioning. So a lot of our courses online now, as we know, are asynchronous, you're expected to watch videos. But if those videos don't have captioning, what does that mean for a student who relies on captioning? Because of a hearing disability, or perhaps just because they use captioning to reinforce what's on the screen. I talked a lot about platforms where uh, like palette is one, Word Garden, where it's a lot of pictorial information, and individuals with seeing or visual disabilities might have difficulty navigating those visual spaces with a screen reader. But I also talked a lot about what are some of the successes. And so the digital space in some ways has brought students who may not always traditionally be able to be in a classroom into a classroom. And so what do I mean by that in class? Physically getting to class can be a challenge, whether it's arranging paratransportation, attended services, note-taking, um, ensuring that the classroom is in a physically accessible building. So all of a sudden those barriers are ameliorated when you are in a digital space and you can just log on to zoom. Now I think certainly it it bears saying that with digital space comes its own set of barriers, especially around accessing technology, but for a moment, thinking about some of the positives. So, A lot of students have been able to work at their own pace during asynchronous lectures, which means they can schedule lectures around other responsibilities, be it work, caregiving, medical needs. Um, Like I said, people can come to class who may not traditionally be able to get there. So in a way, the digital space has actually opened up our learning environment. And one of the things I stressed is that I really hope when we come through to the other side or when we go back to in-person learning that we actually become more aware of hybrid models or blended models where for those who need and want to be in person, that option is there, but that every class is streamed so that people can participate from home for whatever variety of reasons they need to do so.
0: I think, you know, first and foremost, there's a lot um, to even discuss um, with what you mentioned, which I think is fantastic, because we do live in this world in which um, Zoom fatigue is a real thing for a lot of people. But what we're seeing here is another perspective in which we are openly engaging with the digital realm to ensure that it is accessible for for all. And I'm glad to hear there are successes as well. Now, Elizabeth, when we talk about disability, um, I think about it in two ways. So mental disability and physical disability. Am I missing anything? And when we talk about accessibility, are we referring to both of these terms?
1: Yeah, disability is a really broad spectrum. You've certainly nailed a couple. You know, there can be, a wide range: developmental, mental health, physical, sensory, um, neurological, and and episodic is a huge, huge, huge category that often goes unrecognized, and it shouldn't because it's uh, it's an important one to to think about. And so, when we think about online learning, certainly there are, there are challenges. But again, um, I think thinking about you know, what are some of those successes and how can we how can we bring those back? And Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Sitting in front of a screen for a lot of people is challenging. Um, again, thinking about what are some ways that we can make that work? So is it a blended synchronous, asynchronous? So the course ITA had an hour where we were together. People could come, ask questions. We, we overviewed what the lecture was, but then the asynchronous components people did on their own. And the feedback we got, you know, regarding accessibility wasn't just about disability, but it was about people in different time zones that maybe it's two o'clock in the morning when class is happening, so they can do their asynchronous lessons whenever it works for them. And so I think that's just another example. And so with, with disability, certainly um, with successes comes challenges. And so there are Western uses Owl Sukai, I use a screen reader, it works fairly well, but I'm aware of people who use uh, drag and naturally speaking technology or magnification technology. And for them, al-sukai is a challenge. So really being aware of what online platforms we're learning, uh, we're using to learn. I in my courses had to review videos for one of my modules. And those videos uh, did not have description and there was a lot of pictorial images and text that I couldn't read. And so I was missing out. So just thinking about trying to be as digitally inclusive as possible and uh, shout out, I know the uh, Center for Teaching and Learning is doing some great modules around fostering fostering inclusive digital classrooms. I've taken them. So um, definitely check those out if you're wanting to learn more.
2: So do you think that the way institutions and students have been learning about the limitations that some students with um, various disabilities have trying to access and engage in learning because of virtual learning, do you think there's been some progression since we've all moved from a virtual platform uh, to be more inclusive for everyone compared to what we were like before the pandemic started?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there's really been, um, COVID has exposed a lot of inequities in funding for technology, in funding for supports um, in the way that we learn. And so I think we've become unfortunately more aware through this pandemic because those inequities have been exposed. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, technolog- technological oppression is a real thing. So that's actually where technology can help, but it can also harm. So people who don't have access to a stable internet connection, um, people that don't have access to a laptop or access to assistive technology. So the technology is actually holding them back um, or I guess the lack of access to it. And so I, what my hope is, and, and certainly over the last year I've been involved in, in tele town halls around inclusive education making sure that as we move into this digital model that we aren't leaving students behind. I think it ha- we have become more aware just because of what the pandemic has exposed. Um, And and what I think we've seen is that in a lot of settings, unfortunately, in learning settings, accessibility is sort of a nice to do or an afterthought, whereas what it should be is built into curriculum, built into LMSs or learning management systems from the start. And so we're not going back after and problem solving, you know, how are we going to accommodate a student in this course? And then we're trying to, um, to the greatest extent possible, um, accommodate everybody. Although there is always going to be a need for individual accommodations. That's just the way it's going to be. But I think what the pandemic has done is shown us. Um, not only where there's inequities, but again, like what are some things that have actually worked really well? And so I think about even myself, I don't live in London. And so I've been able to access more services on campus and participate in more clubs than I would if I had to travel two hours on a train from Toronto. And I've heard that from a lot of my classmates and and some of the other commissioners, they're they're not living in London. And so this world has opened up those opportunities. And so um, in some ways, you know, um, the virtual space is easier for those of us with disabilities to navigate. And in some ways, um, although COVID has been isolating, it's actually meant we can participate at a greater degree than perhaps we we could otherwise.
2: It is a bit um, disappointing that it took an entire global pandemic for a lot of these issues to be brought to light. It was almost if they just peel, you said it really well, it's like peeling off the bandage that we were trying to cover before saying like, yeah, these are problems, but they're not big enough for us to deal with. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, we all moved to a virtual platform, we realized actually these problems should never have been occurring in the first place. And all systems should have been including everyone, not just targeting people who don't have um, certain disabilities or any type of disability. So it, that's, I think it's disappointing in that sense. It took pretty much mm-hmm. everyone to be forced Uh, to stay indoors for everyone to realize, oh, this, we need to, we need to change this in the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, certainly outside of education, we've seen um, poverty exacerbated for the disability community, and we've seen um, issues around triage. But I think, you know, what, what I, I hope uh, will come out of this documentary more than just an awareness is some best practices. So what do we think about as faculty and TAs when we're designing courses? You know, what do we think about when we're evaluating, like, do we have to have only one method to evaluate students? I certainly know with COVID, we've had to be more creative in how we evaluate presentations, uh, or how we evaluate tests and assignments. And so I think that creativity is something, again, I hope we can take with us when, when we're um, back in person.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, that's a really important point, is ensuring that when things go back to normal, we don't revert back to the old ways that discriminated against people um, on accessibility means, which I think, you know, again, as Gavin mentioned, um, is inherently tragic that it took such an awful scenario for our world to be in, in order for us to come to this conclusion. Now, Elizabeth, we we're talking a lot about the successes, and I think it'll be good to talk about that towards the end of the episode. Um, but tell us about some improvements that you spoke about during um, the filming of the documentary you've made.
1: Yeah, I think one thing is making, making improvements around accessing um, online learning management systems. So, you know, there's several out there. And for a lot of students who use adaptive technology, they're they're difficult to navigate. Um, some are more accessible than others, and I think the other piece is sometimes professors will will use tools that aren't necessarily um, university wide, and so those may not be accessible. So one is Top Hat, which is a way to interact in class and be able to um, provide answers to questions, and so I think that. What happens is students register for a course not knowing what tools are going to be used in the course, and then get into the course and realize this tool is not something I can access. And so then troubleshooting starts. But the problem with that is that the course is actually underway, so you're falling further and further behind while that troubleshooting piece is happening. And so I wonder if one you know learning one thing I hope is that in in course calendars, um, a description of the course is offered along with any tools that will be used in the course, so students can know ahead of time, um, as well as will the course be synchronous or asynchronous? Um, you know, will there be as much information as possible ahead of time, so students are able to make the decision that works for their access needs? And maybe there's three sections of geology 101, and it just so happens that. Gavins is run a little bit differently. So you choose Gavins because it works better with your learning style. So I think one thing I really hope happens is in course calendars and course syllabi, they're made available ahead of time with as much information as possible. And of course we know with precarity of faculty and faculty often not being hired until sometimes a couple of weeks before class starts, that's really tricky. And so those are bigger issues than about how we're supporting our faculty to make sure they're not scrambling at the last minute. Um, Because I know as a student, I've reached out and asked for a course outline and been told, sorry, I just got the course, I won't have it ready until the day before. And the challenge becomes, as a student that requires alternative format readings, then the course has started and you're trying to get the readings. And so I think just issues around how we structure courses how faculty are assigned courses, Um, you know, making sure one big thing I really have seen and I love that's been happening is that readings during COVID have been um, electronic and a lot of the readings I've done have been open access or available through Western libraries. So we're not relying on the heavy print textbooks anymore. We're sort of moving into different media spaces. And so that's another thing that has been a barrier in the past for lots of different students. And because of COVID has certainly still been a barrier, but has been less of a barrier.
2: On the topic of um, making sure our faculty are probably more prepared and better equipped to be more accommodating for students with disabilities. Do you think that one thing that should be uh, put forward to improve this will be to offer additional training to faculty and TAs to explain how you can make courses and presentations and assignments more accessible for everyone and not just focusing on the majority of students who probably don't have um, disabilities.
1: Yeah, and I, I absolutely agree, and I think that there is training um, that's out there, I, and I think the challenge is A, getting the word out, and B, you know, people who go to that training are, are invested and they're interested, so how do we reach that other two things, how do we reach the population that isn't attending the training? And how do we reach people again? Like I I really, um, I, I wanna be sensitive to the fact that I think a lot of faculty try and are doing their wholesale best, but if you're hired as a lecturer and you're not paid to attend training, and you're only, you know, you're you're scrambling to get your course together, it may not be top of your mind, not because you don't want to, but because there's just not that time. So building into hiring contracts, time for training, paying faculty and TAs equitable and fair wages to attend training, I think is a huge piece that needs to happen. Um, You know, certainly, I think, it's really important to show as a community, as a university community, uh, as an epistemic community, that we, we want to invest in how to make education, that culture of education, more inclusive. So we need to think about it all the way from the beginning. Like, how are we making sure that our contract staff are, are included, our TAs are included? How are we paying people and making sure it's built into their contracts so people aren't feeling like, I'd love to, but I just can't?
0: Yeah, and and I think I think that highlights an important point um, with the intersectionality um, of these these challenges that we face in the example you provided, you said that um, because the university is not, um, you know, contracting these lecturers to attend these training session, they are not then um, equipped to deal with the accessibility that comes with being a lecture in 2021. So I think that's, that's an interesting point. But you also said something pretty profound to me. And it might have been simple to you, but you said getting the word out. And I think that's important for a number of reasons. Now, my question to you would be, did you find that making a documentary on this was the best way to get the word out?
1: I think it's one way to get the word out. I think I think part of it, you know, and, and again, the documentary is going to air on a station that's for people with disabilities. So I'm, again, kind of preaching to the choir. So I think, you know, platforms like this are great. I think being able to reach um, communities around, uh, around campus To talk about what are the resources that are available so could it be even something like having announcements on OWL like hey great course coming up through center for teaching and learning we encourage everyone to sign up Um, and then through HR having those supports so you're given time to take the course Um, having certificates available that count on a CV towards tenure Um, you know I'd love to see things like you know as part of a ten-year package. Somebody's done, um, you know, certificates in, in inclusive teaching, and those actually count and are weighted. Um, and I think just all kinds of ways having it built into faculty orientation, to TA orientation. And I know the CTL does does do courses, so I don't want to discount that. But I think there's a again a lot of TAs that through no fault of their own just just can't uh, can't attend all those workshops. So again, I think having having support from human resources, having the the backing of of having the compensation to go to the workshop, having really great credentials behind it, um, maybe even offering student leaders opportunities to be able to to teach workshops. I think those are all ways we can get the word out. And we're already doing some of those things really well. So it's just building on those.
2: Yeah. And I think building on getting the word out is a, that some of the profs that maybe take this training that put their time and their dedication to wanting to make their courses more accessible, they could use their position as well to tell not only their students, but maybe other members of the faculty in their departments who either maybe just weren't aware that this training was offered for them, that could, and that they could say that this could actually probably help your courses in the future, mm-hmm. and maybe try and make sure you're supportive of all students, and so someone doesn't take your course and realize they're immediately at a disadvantage. Uh, I just want yeah. get, to get your guys opinions on maybe if that would be also be a good way to get the word out
1: i've done a few value evals for faculty um and in the in the student feedback i don't see any questions around accessibility inclusive teaching practices there's there's you know maybe um some options for text boxes about what did you you know what worked really well in this course um if you if you. Think about inclusion what are some things in, in terms of inclusive teaching that worked really well for you as a learner um you know what are some things that were done to make the culture of learning um, inclusive or accessible and just seeing what students are saying because that would again be a great way to collect that feedback
0: it's, and and I, I, think, I think that's an interesting thought because, you know, so often course evaluations are centered on um, determining um, what the value of the course was to you. But when we apply the accessibility lens, um, it, it takes on a different value. So mm-hmm. I, th- I think that reforming that could be a really interesting way. Um, I also think another interesting way to go about it would be um, to encourage, at least if we're talking about um, physical disabilities, um, able bodied people um, in the ways of how they can make the environment more accessible, um, just by, you know, doing small things. Now, I'm an able bodied person, Elizabeth, do you have anything that you would recommend to me for how I could, you know, contribute to making this environment more accessible?
1: Yeah, I think like if you're a TA, uh, and I know I, I've been a TA, our, our powers, uh, you know, are are limited in what we can do. But maybe at the start of your lab, just just saying, you know, um, thing, you know, or even putting in your like if you have a lab a lab handout, a lab manual, you know. Um, Just, just saying, like welcoming. If you have any, you know, do you have any accommodation requests? Please come. You know, you're welcome to come talk to me. Um, I know a lot of events now are doing that. They're actually asking, do you have any accommodation requests? Like when you register, and some people can actually. mention in their registration if they require something. And of course you wanna do it in a way that people don't feel like they're uh, disclosing more than they want, but just even mentioning it, I think sets that tone that you're open. Um, And I think also saying, you know, where you can offering options for learning assessments. And again, as a TA, I do realize we're limited. you know, if you're if you're doing tutoring one-on-one with a student, having those conversations like what what works best for you as a learner, what are some things that that I can do to um, support your learning? I think just those conversations just set that tone that that um, you know, as a student, I know I would feel like um, you're open to certainly hearing. About any any needs I might have in the classroom, but I say classroom, but you know, so much we're learning at Western happens outside the classroom. So many workshops I've taken are, are through um, the great folks that own Your Future or Grad Life, and so I'm saying classroom, but I guess I'm actually meaning more than classroom. Um, I think anything we're talking about today could apply broader, um, and I think building in conversations about. Um, you know, one thing I suggested to, to uh, one of the groups on campus was having a scholar series where um, scholars who are from equity seeking groups come and talk about their journey as a scholar. And, it would, you know, as a student, I know that that would be a great way for me to hear how other people have navigated the system, navigated challenges. It's a great opportunity for informal mentorship. Um, and so I think just opening up those spaces is really key.
0: Of course, of course. And to continue that upwards trajectory of of positive encouragement, tell us about some of the successes you've witnessed.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, at the beginning, I mentioned that I've been able, and I know I've heard this from a number of people, been able to take part in more things on campus. Um, I think a success too has been just how adaptable and flexible we've been. Like we've had conferences online, we've had, you know, entire courses online, we've had, Just, there's been so much that we're like, well, how are we going to do that online? And then we do it. Um, So I think that's been really great. And I hope that we can take that adaptability and flexibility and, you know, continue to think about ways that we can adapt to all kinds of different learning styles um, through COVID and through the other side as well.
0: And I think that's a lovely note to end off on as we conclude our accessibility episode. Now, Elizabeth, um, we've been talking about a documentary. Um, How are individuals able to access this once it's uh, released?
1: So on May 28th, which is a, I believe, a Saturday night. um, No, it's a Friday night. So Friday, May 28th at eight o'clock on accessible media, the documentary will be aired. If you're a Rogers customer, it's channel 888. If you're on Bell, it's channel 48. You can also just go to ami.ca and that doc will be up. And that's again, Friday, May 28th at eight o'clock.
0: Fantastic, you heard it here first. And uh, we would encourage anyone who's interested um, to tune in um, because uh, Western students are doing some incredible work. And this is one example of that. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Liam Clifford, and my co-host was Gavin Tolemetti. This was episode was also produced by Gavin Tolometti. We've been speaking with Elizabeth Moeller, an occupational science PhD student, and if you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening